Pacers got what they needed offensively, 33-16 and 16 from Tyrese Halliburton, 31 from Buddy Heald, but they couldn't defend at all against the Raptors, and it cost them their bench was atrocious. We'll break it all down today on a Thanksgiving Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. If you celebrate, hope you're having a great day and spending some time with family. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're talking Pacers, Raptors, a game that, for my usual criteria for assessing a Pacers performance this season, should have been a Pacers win. They got a great Halberton game, and they got a great game from someone else. That has usually been enough for them to win this season. Before today, in their, they had five losses, and in those five losses, they did not get one of those things. Today, they got both, and they still lost. And that's a lot of credit to the Raptors, and that's also a lot of non-credit, the opposite of credit, I should have a word for that, to the Pacers and their atrocious defense in this game. The Raptors do not have a good half-court offense, but they could score with ease on the Pacers. It's beating a dead horse to call the Pacers' defense awful, but we got to talk about it today because they got outsized, they got smoked on that end of the floor again, and it cost them a game. We got a lot to talk about. Pacers losing the clutch. Uh, They were up seven late and couldn't get it done. Raptors score a lot late. Some defensive miscues, some ill-timed shots, miscommunications. A lot went wrong in the clutch, and the Pacers now eight and six. And we'll talk about their record, too, because Tyler Smith dug up a great stat about the Pacers' record to this point in the season. I will start with the formula, which is something I've written about and talked about on the show for a Pacers win. Halliburton, typically brilliant for the Pacers, right? Today, he was, once again, 33 points, 16 assists, three turnovers, five for 10 from deep, 12 for 22 from the field. They win his minutes by four. He played almost 35 minutes. That's a great game. Usually, all the Pacers need is one other guy to have a good game if Halliburton has a good game. When they lost to the Bulls, no one really stepped up offensively. When they lost to the Hornets, nobody really stepped up defensively. When they lost to the Sixers, nobody stepped up defensively. They had an okay other offensive game. In that game, when they lost to the Celtics, Halliburton did not play. And then when they lost to the Magic, Halliburton was not good enough. So the blueprint has usually been predictive. Today, it was not because Buddy Heald was also good enough in this game. 31 from Heald. Moving into the starting lineup has been great for him. He made like nine or ten threes in a row between last game and this game. Made some twos in this game. In fact, made all of his twos in this game. Five for five from inside the arc. Five assists, two steals. That's a great Buddy Heald game. They won Buddy Heald's minutes by ten points. He's the kind of guy the Raptors struggle with on the perimeter, especially when he's making seven of his 12 threes. Generally, that formula has been enough for the Pacers. In fact, a lot of Pacers starters had good games. Bruce Brown, nine shots, 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals. They win his minutes by eight. Miles Turner, 17 points on 11 shots. He had eight rebounds, a steal, two blocks. They win his minutes by 13, although he had a brutal miscommunication late, which we will talk about. And Obi Toppin back in the starting five with Aaron Neesmith hurt. Six for nine from the field. Hits two of his five threes. A rough mistake late with the clock. But he played well and they won his minutes by five. Starters were good. In general, the bench was putrid and the Pacers did not defend well enough at all to make up for what should have been a win given the offensive output I just described. And that's the story of the skin. They defended terribly. And it should have. it's a tough defensive matchup already. This is not... 
to give any credit to the Pacers. This is just to talk about what the Raptors are and have always been, and that's a tough matchup for the Pacers given their size, right? Tyrese Halliburton even said it after the game. I've talked about it on this podcast for years since they lost that young. They struggle with big wings, right? And it's not the star big wings. Every team struggles with the star big wings, but most teams don't struggle as much as the Pacers do with... Gordon Hayward range talent, Harrison Barden's range talent. OG Ananobi's usually a guy I cite when giving the example. Ananobi didn't even play that well offensively, but Siakam is a big wing. Scotty Barnes is a big something, guard wing, big, whatever position you want to put him in. And those last two were particularly killer in this game. Uh, Scotty Barnes, 20 points, 12 boards, 4 assists, 4 steals. And he was a minus 10. They did well in his minutes, but he killed the Pacers. Pascal Siakam, 13 for 24, 11 trips to the foul line. He had 36 points on 24 shots, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, because they could play through him. The Pacers did not have the answers for these guys. And it's not even like with their available players, they could have matched up size-wise unless they went to really deep bench guys who then sacrifice something else, a.k.a. Jairus Walker or Isaiah Jackson with another center, for example, and that would not have worked for them offensively, right, given that the Raptors were shooting well from deep, right? Toronto ended up hitting 41% of the threes in this game and getting to the line a lot. So they didn't have good answers, right? Their best answer a lot of the time was... Buddy Heald on one of those guys, or Bruce Brown on... Bruce Brown did okay, but Bruce Brown on one of those guys. Bruce Brown was on Ananobi some. That kind of worked. But in general, they didn't have the size to do it without Neesmith, who would have been one of their best answers for these guys. And this is, one, a comment on the Pacers roster construction that, like, Toppin can't do it for a full game. He also can't guard three guys at once. And two that they don't have someone else to do this. And everybody will point to Jairus Walker. And I might have tried Jairus Walker in this game as the Pacers. They went to Jordan Wara with Neesmith out. Wara, not a good defender. Wara missed all his shots. He had a very rough game. But also, their guys just weren't good enough, right? Like, either doubling or forcing these guys to have harder shots or not fouling. That was a really big struggle for them. Pacers in this game, 24 fouls. They've been a foul-happy team these last couple weeks. So this is a, a discredit to a lot of people that they didn't have the right personnel for the Raptors and the guys who did play did not do a good job on the defensive end of the floor. It's a tough adjustment when they're making the threes too because they would they tried to double, right? They would try to send two to Pascal or they would try to send the center up early to make him pass somewhere else in the post and that let Jakob Pertl make three of his four shots and that let other guys wiggle free from deep. Malachi Flynn was hitting threes. Gary Trent hit threes. Dennis Schroeder hit threes. Scotty Barnes made two threes, right? There wasn't a good answer, sure, but there's better answers than, there's better performances than what they had given the answers available. I thought they defended absolutely terribly in this game. They could not slow down Siakam at all, despite the height differences. They could not stay in front of guys like him. They they got killed in the paint again, 64 points in the paint for Toronto, and a ton of them came in the first half. They actually adjusted pretty well to start walling them off, but that's when they gave up the other shots that really started to kill them, right? Of the Raptors, 11 for 27 that they were from deep. They took well over half of them in the second half, and they also took 22 foul shots in the second half of their 30 total, right? So they did adjust to just getting pounded in the paint, but that's because they were fouling more instead. So they def the Pacers defended just putridly, and some of this is the size disadvantage, and some of that's just their guys did not have good defensive games. And part of this to me was the lack of the two important perimeter defenders, although Andrew Nemhart is not tall. Right, but he would have helped with Dennis Schroeder, which was pointedly important in this game. Dennis Schroeder, 26 
points. 10 for 16 from the field because he was just driving past whoever was on him all night, getting into the paint. Turner had to worry about Jakob Pertl. Turner had to worry about other large guys who were killing them all night. So he didn't have as many chances. Dennis Schroeder killed them. Andrew Nemhart could have helped a little there, although TJ McConnell is a fine defensive player. And without Aaron Neesmith, that's one credible option that they don't have to throw at one of these larger forwards that Toronto has and played for a ton of minutes. Right, 36 for Ananobi, 37.5 for Siakam, 39.5 minutes for Scotty Barnes. So the Pacers, without those options, had to have somebody step up on defense. Right, They got the offensive production they needed, for sure. They made 18 threes. They didn't turn it over a ton. They made 50 shots. They, they, sh- they should win a game like that, but they defended awful. Buddy Heald, playing at a science disadvantage, Hempstead rump defensive moments. Obi Toppin had some rough defensive moments. Even Miles Turner, typically reliable on defense. Noted, he had a terrible miscommunication late on the defensive end. Halliburton struggled to stay in front of Schroeder or whoever he had at times in this game. Like, they just did not defend well, and their bench defended very poorly. And that leads to a Pacers loss in a game that they could have won. They were up seven points in the, in crunch time, I believe. I can't remember exactly when it was in the fourth quarter that the Pacers went up by seven. That was their biggest lead since the second quarter started. It was the biggest lead for either team since the second quarter started. Crazy game. 26 lead changes, and the Pacers can't capitalize on a seven-point lead late. What happened in crunch time? What about the final shot? What about the bench? There's a lot more that led to this Pacers loss than just their awful defense and their adjustments not quite working the way they needed every step of the defensive failures showing up for the Pacers today. We will talk about plenty more from this game in segment two. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day, free and available wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for your second listen. Of course, Sean Woodley, Lockdown Raptors, to get the lowdown from the other side of this game. Continuing here on stuff that went wrong for the Pacers in a game they should have won. They should have won this game. I know that sounds stupid to say. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, doesn't matter. They lost, but they scored 131. They they could have had it. They got good performances from Heald and Halliburton. Their bench was different. They changed their starters last game. Heald started, and he's been playing awesome with the starters. That seems like something they'll continue. He's got good rhythm right now. That won't last forever, but he's better with Ty. Um, and on a later show, I will do a deeper dive on that decision in particular. The, really, the whole starting five change. I'm so... I. I don't know who I'd started the two. I still lean Matherin a little bit just for the long-term goals. But Heald started. Toppin went back in the starting five with Neesmith out. So now the Pacers bench is McConnell at the one, Jalen Smith at the five, Benedict Mather at the two, and then they need somebody else, and they went with Jordan Wara. They didn't go with Shepard. They didn't go with Walker. Um, Back-to-back. Shepard played last night and played for the Mad Ants this morning. We'll talk about that in the third segment. Walker played for the Mad Ants this morning. Maybe you could have played them in this game, but they presumably knew about the injuries when they sent them to the Mad Ants. So maybe they were okay with Wara being the answer there. And Wara did not make anything. He went over five from the field, which hurts his value a lot. He shot awesome Sunday, right? That's just a fickle thing about the NBA. I'm not going to kill Jordan War for going over five. It's not like he took any bad shots, but over five is over five, right? Ben Matherin couldn't score. Two for seven from the field. Didn't get to the line. He had a rough night. TJ McConnell hit half his shots. He was fine. And Jalen Smith was solid as usual. Three for five, five boards. But altogether, that group struggled. War couldn't hit his shots. They didn't get the proper shooting they needed, and they really struggled defensively. And so usually a blueprint for the Pacers and something that's helped them in these games that I've talked about where Halberton does well and someone else steps up is their bench has been awesome all season. Well, this game, without Nemhard and without Neesmith, their bench was weaker on talent and was weaker in fit. And then it was a new group that hadn't played together much and 
they did not play well at all. That was a big thing that worked well for the Pacers all season. It did not work well for the Pacers in this game. That bench group got them killed. They had to mix and match a little more than normal. They had to play three starters, uh, thirty four starters, excuse me, 35-plus minutes top and playing a ton again because they need them to. Uh, that hurt them quite a bit. Their big advantage they've gotten from the bench all season was not there in this game. And some of that's credit the Raptors, right? Gary Trent made half his threes. Malachi Flynn was bananas. One of the best games I've ever seen him play. Otto Porter made his only shot. Right, Their bench played well, but their bench didn't play that much. And they shouldn't have been as good as they were. But the Pacers let them. And that's that's part of the concerns. Crunch time killed the Pacers. Absolutely killed them. Like I said, they were up seven in the fourth quarter. This, to me, could be the story of the game. In fact, I, might, I should have maybe led with this, but I think defense was a bigger story in this one to get to the exact scene setting moment with four minutes to go Tyrese Halberton's just come in Buddy Heald's just come in 22 seconds ago and Tyrese Halberton hits a 26.3 Buddy Heald assists him he skips that's usually a good sign Tyrese Halberton in a good mood Pacers are up seven points with four minutes to go they've done well in the fourth quarter they keep figuring out answers to the Raptors a very back and forth game but the lead changes that will favor the Pacers and then here we go Pascal Siakam layup and then an offensive foul on Turner for a screen. That's a turnover. Raptors ball. They miss. Buddy Heald gets a block. And then the Pacers miss a Bruce Brown 318 seconds later. That's fine. It was a fine shot. And then the Raptors don't score. Pacers doing great. Still up five with now three minutes to go. And they get lucky because after Bruce Brown missed his three, the Raptors rushed into a bad shot. Matt, Matt Barnes. <laughs> Scotty Barnes took a three with 2.57 to go, which is seven seconds after the block on Brown's three. That was a good look late in the clock, but Jakob Pertl credit to him. Um, and they took a shot three seconds after corralling the ball. Scotty Barnes took a transition three. That's a bad shot. So now the Pacers can really milk some clock. They get the rebound with 2.55. Seven seconds later, Obi Toppin takes a three. They could have gotten it down to almost two and a half minutes to go with a five-point lead. That early shot was not good. The Raptors pushed in transition, and Dennis Schroeder hits a three on the other end. And now, instead of being up five with 2.30 to go, they're up two with 2.30 to go. They respond. Halliburton scores. But then they foul, as they have often in crunch time. Toppin fouls, and Obi hits both free throws. They couldn't get anything going on the next position. They took their time, though. Took all 24 seconds. Turner misses a hook shot. So that one was fine. Ananobi hits a three on the other end, though. They 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 clamp down on the post on a Siakam drive. Siakam turns. Wide open Ananobi. They get, they were so close to getting out to the three. Didn't. He drilled it. Raptors up one. Buddy healed. Credit. He had a great game inside the arc. Responds. They go back in the lead. And then Dennis Schroeder misses. So the Pacers are now winning despite the miscues, right? A couple fouls. A, a bad shot from Obi Toppin. Um, a turnover. They have the ball with a minute to go, and they're ahead. And Buddy Heald misses a 27-footer. It was a fine shot. It was late-ish in the clock. Raptors get it back, and Halliburton fouls. He did not like the foul. It was a foul. They didn't review it. Siakam hits both free throws. Pacers are ahead, or excuse me, behind by one, 128-127. Uh, Matherin comes in, and the Pacers score. Tyrese Halliburton does his clutch thing. Great floater. He's up to 31 points. They're up one. And what crucially, I thought at the moment, what the Pacers did well is they scored in six seconds. So now it was a two for one. They're going to get another chance for sure, and they're ahead. They bring Toppin back in for size. And then the Raptors do this play. They throw it into Siakam, or excuse me, they throw it into Scotty Barnes. And the inbounder was Siakam, and Siakam runs towards Scotty Barnes. And Barnes fakes a handoff. And the Pacers have had to switch a lot this game. They don't have Neesmith. They don't have Nemhard. They're doing their best to stay in front of guys. And a bad miscommunication. And both guys go 
to Siakam on the fake handoff. But Siakam doesn't have the ball. Scotty Barnes has the ball. Now nobody's guarding the ball. Free run to the rim for Scotty Barnes. Turner fouls him at the rim. Turner, after the game, said that was on him. He messed up that coverage. He was supposed to stay with his man. He didn't. He bit on the fake. Free basket. Another error for the Pacers. So now we're up to a turnover, um, a bad shot, two bad shots, uh, and a couple fouls, and a miscommunication on defense. Scotty Barnes hits the free throw. Halliburton misses his next shot. He thought he got fouled, he said, after the game by Ananobi. He didn't. Uh, so now it's the free throw game. And Scotty Barnes misses one. So now the Pacers are down three with the ball. And they don't score. <laughs> uh, they get a take foul at first, which is smart by the Raptors. Then Tyrese Halliburton drives to the basket, and he gets fouled. This one was a foul. He makes both free throws. Now they're down one with 12 seconds left. They foul Gary Trent with eight seconds left. Miracle that he misses both. The Raptors can't foul. The Raptors have to get a stop. So the Pacers have the ball down one. Despite all their miscues, they have a chance to win it. And now, very controversial apparently, here's what happened on the Pacers' last possession. Tyrese Halliburton dribbles up left side, draws two defenders in his face, one of which is OG Ananobi, a very good defensive player. OG Ananobi, uh, and he can't get a shot up. And there's about four seconds left, and he's dribbling on the left wing. He's going to have to give it up. Someone else is going to have to shoot. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was the other defender on him. He passes to Buddy Heald, who's about two steps behind the three-point line. 29-footer is what it was logged as by the NBA. And he's wide open with about two and a half seconds to go on the catch. But Ananobi is sprinting at him. So he could have maybe... Here's what, here's what I'll say first. I think that's a good look, right? It's long. I agree that it's long. And I agree that if, in an ideal world, right, Buddy Heald has to be there because of what exactly happened to Halbert. He got double teamed, which means he's going to have to need a safety valve to get the ball to. Or else if he can't pass it, the game's over. If he picks up his dribble, they lose. So they need someone there-ish. But Heald should have been about a step close. If he gets too high up, it's too hard of a pass to make before a different Raptor can recover to heal the top of the key. So I think he needs to be one step closer to the basket. He was a little far. But once he caught it, he can't dribble closer because Ananobi's sprinting at him. He's got to sh- If it's going to be wide open, he's got to shoot right away. So I actually like the shot. Halliburton said after the game, he'll take that shot 10 out of 10 times. Heald had a great game. He was wide open. 29-footer is not that long. Heald hit two 28-footers in this game. If you it, like, it's To me, a wide-open Buddy Heald 29-footer for the win, you take that. You probably win that game 40 to 45% of the time. He missed. Uh, I get people saying it's too far. I think being a step closer would have been good. I don't get people saying it's a bad shot. It's not a bad shot. And they didn't have time to get closer to the rim because they only had eight seconds when they got the rebound, and they couldn't really push any farther than they did, right? They did well off the board to get across half court at about the four-second mark, but as soon as Halberton realized he got doubled, right, he slowed up to assess the situation. That's what he does. They didn't have time to, like, run something or get a better look. I like the look. They miss it. But the miscues in clutch time just killed them. The top and shot too early in the clock. Brown getting blocked on a corner three that looked open when he took it, but Pirtle got out to him. Turnovers, uh, two of those fouls, defensive miscues. The whole works went wrong in clutch time for the Pacers. And that's how they lose a game that they could have won. They got a great game from all of their starters on the offensive end. That new look starting group is looking good. The bench, TJ McConnell played well, but that group was not good. The defense was not good. The crunch time performance was not good. And the Pacers are 8-6 and six after 14 games. You know what's crazy about this? Shout out to Tyler Smith for this. This is unreal. I did not know this. Um, the Pacers are 8-6 and six through 14 games. That is a 46-win pace. It's pretty good. Um, Pacers, that's a, about over-expectation for them, but they probably feel like they could be better. They've lost some winnable games. Tyrese Halliburton said he's irritated 
by that uh, after the game. This year, through 14 games, Pacers are 8-6. Last year, through 14 games, the Pacers, yeah, you guessed it, were 8-6. The year before that, Carlisle's first year, 6-8. and eight. A little different, but close. The year before that, the Nate Bjorkren season, through 14 games, the Pacers were... Eight and six. How about that? That was the Oladipo traded right about that time, but they were eight and six. The year before that, Nate McMillan's final year with the Pacers. You'll never guess what the Pacers were after 14 games. They were eight and six. And the year before that, the 2018-19 season, Depot playing at his, uh, following up his All-NBA season, Nate McMillan at the helm, Bojan Bogdanovic's best season with the Pacers, and through 14 games, the Pacers were eight and six. (laughs) And so, so many times... In fact, since 2018-19, all but one year, the Pacers have been 8-6 and six through 14 games. That's six of the last seven years. The year before that, the first year of Oladipo, they were 6-8. and eight. So through 14 games, since they traded away Paul George, every season they've either had six or eight wins, and most of the time they've had eight. So a very standard start for the Pacers. The last time they didn't have six or eight wins through 14 games was Paul George's final season. They were 7-7. Seven and seven, Very close. So... A typical start for the Pacers, and it could have been better. They could have won this game, but they didn't. They had too many miscues late. They had too many defensive miscues for four quarters, and it cost them in a winnable game. The Raptors are like a good team to me. Uh, not, a, not like a playoff good team, but like a solid team. And this is kind of what I talked about like after the Orlando game. There are no easy games in the NBA anymore. There's four easy teams to me, maybe three. The Hornets are playing good again. But there's only three easy teams in the NBA. Everybody else can beat you any night, but I think the Pacers kind of beat themselves, right? They had some correctable things go wrong that cost them this game, and they are now 8-6. and six. But they play the Pistons Friday. That usually makes teams feel better. Pistons desperate for a win. They've lost 12 in a row, so that would be a very bad loss for the Pacers on their home floor. We'll talk about that game uh, on tomorrow's show, as well as more in-season tournament ramifications and some other stuff. Why not? But the other thing that happened today in Pacerland, unrelated, to Raptors Pacers, Jarris Walker, I watched him score 30 points. And I watched Ben Shepard score 12. And I watched Oscar Shibwe grab 28 rebounds. The G League, the Mad Ants, played this morning. And both Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard got assigned to the Mad Ants. I watched it. I have to talk about it. The decision to do it. Everything involved. To close out today's show, let's talk Pacers lottery pick. Thank you, as usual, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day. Check out our new National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Lockdown Sports Today, 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day. Lockdown Pacers has been on there a few times since we've launched it. Uh, you, you get all the national shows, all the dives in stuff on every team. Go check out Lockdown Sports Today on YouTube. Subscribe to the first ever National Sports 24-7 Streaming channel, 24-7 sports. How about that? Let's keep rocking, talking about the Pacers. And their second game of the day, which was really their first game chronologically, but the second game that I want to talk about. And that is the Mad Ants playing the Motor City Cruise this morning because we were woken up to a surprise from the Pacers, an announcement that they have assigned Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard to the G League. That means nothing for the Pacers roster. That means nothing for their salaries. Those guys were assigned back to the Pacers before their game tonight. Uh, But they can get game time, meaningful game time. That's important to them. That's important to the Pacers in general. Uh, Jairus Walker said last week, about his minutes with the Pacers. It's definitely tough as a hooper. I'm competitive. I obviously want to hoop. And then uh, playing, after playing in this game for the Mad Ants, 
Walker said, I was happy. Hooping is hooping to me at the end of the day. I just love basketball. Ben Shepard said it was cool to get extended a minute. So let's talk about the why here. Um, the Mad Ants, as some of you know, but maybe not all of you, are moving. They used to be in Fort Wayne. Now they're playing in Indianapolis, so the Indiana Mad Ants for a year. Next year they'll play in Noblesville, Indiana, north side suburb of Indy, probably like 40 minutes north, 45. Um, either way, much closer to the Pacers. And they're no longer going to be Fort Wayne. They're going to be the Noblesville Mad Ants. But Noblesville does not have a basketball arena right now. It's being built. So for this season only, all of the Mad Ants home games are in Gamebridge. And they practice in the St. Vincent Center, which is where the Pacers practice. So that is great for the Pacers. It's a great setup. They can see their two-way guys up close. They share every arena thing so they can see all the players all the time. Like sometimes after Pacers practices, like Alfred Payton's in there. Some guys are weightlifting, right? That's great. And so... What that has led to is tough scheduling for the Mad Ants. They got to play in Cambridge. Well, everything's already kind of booked up concerts, games, everything. So they have, I can't remember the exact number. I want to say six. Uh, if someone with the Mad Ants is listening, I'm sorry if it's more or less. But there are six games this season where the Mad Ants actually play in Cambridge at like noon, and then the Pacers play that night. And today is one of the first one of those days. So the Mad Ants played in Cambridge at 12:30, and Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard could play and then just walk down the hall and be with the Pacers. Very convenient setup. Next year, it's only 45-minute drive, so still pretty convenient, but not nearly as convenient as this, where it's the same literal building, which is great for the Pacers and great for an assignment like this. It's a perfect time for the dates to line up. They weren't really needed in the NBA, especially on a back-to-back, so they didn't play with the Pacers against the Raptors. Shepard played last night against the Hawks. He's from Atlanta. That's cool. Um, But they both played today in the G League. And a telltale sign of an NBA player is looking good in the G League. And that was good, is good news for these two guys because they both looked great. Ben Shepard, very slow start. So funny to say after I just said they looked great. He was cooking in the second quarter. 12 points in just the second quarter alone. Uh, was playing like faux point guard a lot of time, taking the ball up the floor, initiating pick and rolls, hitting some pull-up jumpers from long twos. Uh, and in mid-range, he finishes with 12 points. Uh, I need to look up all the rest of his stats, but he only played the first half. Carlisle stopped him at that point. Rick Carlisle, Kevin Pritchard at the game, as was Buddy Heald, Lloyd Pierce, and Obi Toppin. Um, Shepard's final stat line, to be specific, 12 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists. See, that's what I'm saying. Taking the ball up the floor, handling it a bit on 5 for 11 from the field. Jairus Walker, who did not play in Atlanta last night, could play more, and he's played in fewer games for the Pacers this season, right? So they were could afford to have him play more. He played all four quarters, And his start was fine. He had six points in the first half. He was looking to pass more. His defense was solid. And then the second half, I don't know what clicked for him, but he was awesome. He found his groove as an off-the-dribble scorer. My biggest takeaway from Jairus Walker in this game is he's way more comfortable as an off-the-dribble scorer and shooter than a catch-and-shoot guy right now. And I think that's fine, uh, but it's going to be a growth thing for him in the catch-and-shoot department. Like He can hit like a pirouetting, spinning right right elbow jumper off the dribble but a catch and shoot three he catches it a little low so it's not the prettiest shot and it doesn't go in very much but he uh did well in the second half and really got really got going dominated getting to the rim for his buckets drawing fouls the motor city crews could not guard him at all in the second half he looked great that's what the pacers certainly needed to see is him look great at the g league level jarris walker plays in all four quarters he finishes with 30 points and seven rebounds. Exactly what the Pacers would want to see. Him get some juice with the ball, him get those boards, him play well on defense, and the Mad Ants won. So getting Shepard and Walker that run is significant. I continue to monitor Walker's shooting, 
But the off-the-dribble stuff is good. His passing has looked good even in the NBA already uh, with some interior passes. So, uh, And I'll also be monitoring the defense, right? Because the Mad Ends play a much closer scheme to the Pacers than Houston did. So it's a good way for him to get reps on that end of the floor, right? It's way different what he's asked to do. What stands out to me about Walker defensively, even though he's not been great in the NBA so far, is he's very instinctual, right? When he makes an aggressive play, because I think he's a defensive playmaker, or when he... Uh, gambles for a steal or something. When he recovers, he just instinct like he doesn't have to like think that much. He just kind of instinctively knows where to go and where the right position is for him to be very valuable to help his team defensively. And I think that's important uh, for him to be kind of that defensive wrecking ball that we saw in summer league and the NBA someday. So encouraging star for both of them in the G League. We'll see how many more of those assignments they get. But for the Pacers, all they care about is that they looked good and better than a lot of the rest of the guys on the court. Oscar Shibway. Pacers two-way center. Let me preface this because everybody keeps saying, why isn't he with the Pacers? Well, he's got a lot of other skills to work on, right? Their head coach, Tom Hankins, talked about how they're working with him, like showing him DeMontis Sabonis screening videos. Um, he's got a lot of work to do on defensive coverages and movements, and his shot uh, not right by the rim still has work to do. But that dude can freaking rebound. <laughs> oh, my God. He is maybe the most natural rebounder I've ever seen. 28 in this game. Uh, against the Cruz. That is the Mad Ants franchise record. To be clear, Shibuya has played in four games for the Mad Ants. I believe he has three 20 and 20 games. He is a monster on the glass. It is ridiculous. Nobody can stop him. He's so smart at reading where it's going to bounce off the rim and being there. And then he just like pushes everybody out of the way like they're nothing. Like they're like a cornstalk. Like it's just boop, boop, boop. Nope, I'll get this. That's mine. Thank you. It's crazy. His own teammates can't get rebounds because he's scooping them up, which is fine. As long as the Mad Ants get him, Tom Hankins joked, I might have said this on the show already, that sometimes the Mad Ants' best offense is just shoot. Oscar is going to get the rebound and score. He looks great. We'll see if he gets any burn with the Pacers. He's an amazing rebounder. Tyrese Halbert tweeted, he's the best rebounder alive after that Mad Ants game. He looks really great on the glass. He's got work to do in other places, um, as do the other 2A guys. But encouraging Mad Ants game for the Pacers. Jairus Walker getting some minutes. That's important. Uh, same with Ben Shepard. Continue to watch those guys and cover them for you so you can have all the details on all the Pacers information. Speaking of, tomorrow, the Pacers play the Pistons. Uh, so we'll be talking some Pistons on tomorrow's show. It's an in-season tournament game. The final group stage won't be talking about scenarios for the Pacers to have a home game in the quarterfinals uh, and all that. And another topic of my choosing. I have not decided yet. There's lots at stake that could happen. So expect Lockdown Pacers tomorrow from me on Thanksgiving. Speaking of Thanksgiving, hope everybody's having a great holiday. If you're listening on Thursday, if you're listening Friday, I hope you had a great holiday. We'll, of course, be back tomorrow talking Pacers as we do here on Lockdown Pacers. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East. This show is at Lockdown Pacers. Thank you all for listening. Have a fantastic day. We will see you soon.